Do you have questions about living with diabetes in South Africa? You're in very good company. Turns out we all do. Welcome to South Africans with Diabetes. I'm Bridget McNulty and today we're going to be answering your questions to help you live a healthy, happy life with diabetes. This podcast is brought to you by Lily. First, a disclaimer. I am not a medical expert. Please discuss any changes you want to make to your diabetes treatment with your doctor. I don't know about you, but I really like finding out the reason behind why things happen. And when it comes to a chronic condition like diabetes, that can be very frustrating. Did we get diabetes to encourage us to live healthier lives? I'm certainly more conscious of what I eat and how much of it I'm eating than I was before I was diagnosed. But is that all? Is that it? We asked our community, South Africans with diabetes, if there's anything related to diabetes that makes them grateful. And we actually got a lot of responses, very varied responses. Suzanne said it's taught her empathy for other people and to have a more nuanced understanding of the daily challenges people face. Mona said she had to learn to look after herself. Fatima said it's taught her to be grateful for the little things in life. Adele said diabetes taught her responsibility. I mean, all valuable things, right? I wanted to invite endocrinologist and philosopher Dr. Sandy Bruder to join us today for a discussion around the root cause of diabetes, if there is one. Let's take a broader look at the condition and, and what it could possibly be offering us in terms of life lessons. Sandeep, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Bridget, and thanks to the listeners for having us on this platform. I know from previous discussions we've had that you like to take a long view of things, and diabetes is no different. So for those of us living with diabetes, how could we see a, a bigger meaning in the condition? Is there one, do you think? Um, Bridget, so you, you're diving straight into philosophy now, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think <laughs> the, the important thing is to take people from the known to the unknown gently, hold, hold everybody's okay. hand and say, look, this is where we're at. And when you have a medical condition, it's affecting the physical part of your human constitution. And uh, diabetes is a chronic condition that you live with for life. I think it's a, it's it's entrained in us as a humanity uh, historically that when something happens, we want to understand the cause of it. In fact, the philosopher goes to the concept of root cause. What is the cause of life in the universe and where did we come from and where are we going? And all of those questions come in. But at the basic level, firstly, I mean, you've got to go from the terrestrial to the transcendental, right? So in these terrestrial lives, our physical bodies are being inflicted by a condition which is not, if it's not managed, is not suitable for a good quality of life and a full life. So you've got to understand what led to that. Now, we know we have two forms of diabetes which are dominant on the planet. There are other small, minor uh, contributors. But the, the big one is the type 2 diabetes. 90% of patients on the planet with diabetes have type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. And we've always said the risk factor is lifestyle. So if yeah. we look at it that way, then we, we're attributing some causality to lifestyle, which means human beings don't know how to live then. Because... If the cause precedes the effect and the cause is lifestyle, that means we don't know the art of life. Now, living like Oof. any skill is an art, right? Yeah. Um, you learn to play the piano from a piano teacher who has the theory, experience and wisdom on how, and he, he 
passes that on to you and you've got to put some self-effort to learn that. It doesn't just come automatically. So the question becomes, where did we learn the art of life? And if mm. you actually examine it, the answer will be we haven't learned the art of life, which is why no, we're doing was, it so wrong. I was trying to think of an answer there. I've got nothing for you. There you go. Right. And it's such an interesting thing. Like this very basic question is, you know, there's no research into that. We're researching how sugary drinks contribute to diabetes, which they do. We're researching how smoking does, how being overweight and obese does, how stress does. And all these sort of risk factors and a lot of science going into it. You know, science is the the observation and uh, examination of the objective world outside of the physical body, right? But mm. our interaction with that objective world is dependent on ourselves, our mind. So if mm. life is a series of experiences and one experience or encounter is a meeting between you, the subject, and the object, which is a world of things and beings, the world mm. of things and beings is continuing with its own business so how you interact with it depends on you. Um, and it's at the physical level, the body, but what drives the body is the mind with our desires and patterns and joys and sorrows and ups and downs and highs and lows. So if the mind is not well regulated, then the body is going to interact with the world incorrectly. So the subject-object experience becomes a negative one and a series of those experiences becomes a bad life or bad lifestyle. So hmm. if you want to look at root causality in terms of traditional risk factors, then we've got to look at this concept of lifestyle and why we're getting it wrong. And hmm. uh, from a philosophical perspective is that we don't know the art of living. And to yeah. get that right, but we'll talk about solutions at the end, we need to know more about the human constitution. And there's no research going in there. But so we can say sugary drinks cause diabetes, we can say a lack of yeah. exercise, we can say all of these things, but why aren't we getting it right is because there's something that's tripped there that we're not thinking about why we're doing it wrong. But, you yeah. know, I think for the, for the first part of it, what can we learn from diabetes is perhaps if we examine root causality, there's an opportunity here to re-examine how we ought to be living and then put some mm. research and investigation into that to get it right. And then the pressure that we experience becomes a teacher. And, um, and then we can start standardizing and get to our higher goals. And, you know, today we're even talking about remission of type 2 diabetes if we get things right. So the challenge mm. goes away when the lesson's learned, perhaps. And I'm not saying this with any judgment on humanity. I'm saying it mm. with an analytical cap, uh, analytical telescope here. We say, let's think about it a bit and see if there's some truth to it. Yeah. yeah. So now you mentioned solutions, you know, that was like one of the words that leapt out at me from, from what you were talking about. I find it so fascinating mm -hmm. that you're an endocrinologist in Joburg, like a practicing endocrinologist and you're teaching medical students. So you have this very scientific hat that you wear. And then you're also a philosopher, which is not a scientific hat at all. It's an unusual combination. Do you have any kind of tips from philosophy or guidance from the philosophy angle that could make it easier for people with diabetes to manage our condition? You know, these, this type of uh, information on the how to live life has existed mm. uh, forever. And it's been presented to humanity in different forms and packages over time, uh, usually due to, uh, through religious books. The, the mm -hmm. actual mm -hmm. man behind the religion never wrote a book. So Christ did not write the Bible and Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, didn't write the Quran and neither did mm -hmm. Krishna write the Bhagavad Gita. 
and they gave to you know just gave the oral word and then people sort of formalize it into rituals and package the core information and you know puff it up with all sorts of things and i think the core philosophy gets lost but the rituals continue to maintain themselves but in today's times where we have a scientific logic and a mathematical approach the you know mm. that intellect has been a little more developed perhaps then you want a logical approach so you need to extract that core philosophy and present it to humanity in a way that is understandable as i said to go from the known to the unknown in a sequence you've got to test it for yourself it's got to, and if it works for you then you accept it you don't take anything at face value you know so so i think that's important but in terms of solutions i mean the first part is in a scientific world that is bound to investigate only the material solutions we have to be cautious to not create an over dependency on them you would have seen that the diabetes technologies are improving at a rapid rate yet when you look at the actual numbers overall it looks like we're barely making a dent in the change of the trajectory of the disease so why is mm. that we have push button comforts better technology than we did 100 years ago when we had mm. animal extract insulin yet we still not winning so that tells you there's a deficit in that subject object relationship the object is improving the technology mm. is improving but the subject remains unrehabilitated so that's why i think you got to pair science and philosophy and if you think about it the physicians of old whether it was hippocrates and ibn sena and these great physicians they were not just physicians mm. of the material world of no. scientists even uh, claude bernard who wrote the book uh, milieu interieur which was about maintaining the internal homeostasis of the body he said the human has to live with a close and wise relationship with the environment to maintain mm. balance within you see mm. and uh, when you break that balance as physicians and scientists we create technology to assist you to manage that balance but it has to come with some introverted thinking and that's philosophy and, and it's so interesting no matter what you do in life whether you're dealing with medicine or other challenges in life ultimately you will find that external approaches never give you the ultimate solution and you're forced yep. to go within so then you'll have this question where do i find the solution so you got to turn your senses inwards but the senses can't cognize what's in the mind so you need a bit of philosophy which is the fundamental pursuit of the true nature of things you know and um, the, the scientific approach is the investigation of the particular nature of the world what's mm, outside yeah. the senses you see so you will be drawn in and and anyone who's been through significant challenges in life you speak to them and you say you know what i'm not going to find the solution out there i'll just manage it so that's what you do then you standardize your outer life you simplify it to the degree you're at and it can be at any level you don't have to mm-hmm. renounce everything and live in a cave as we were saying earlier you standardize if you want to have a posh then work gently to achieve that posh and you know that's your car and you stop there if you want a toyota yeah. you get that If you want two kids and a little house get that if you want five kids yeah. get but if you manage your desires to below your needs you find that contentment i know a philosopher was once approached by a student and the, and the student said you know how do i get everything that i please in life and the philosopher mm. looks at him and his eyebrow gets raised and obviously they have a little sly smile and he says to be pleased with what you have you know so i think that's the problem in the world our desires are multiplying at a rapid rate yeah. and ad infinitum so we keep creating more and at the expense of the planet and we're not working on this inner constitution of 
managing desire, not suppressing and not allowing it to overindulge. What's so interesting about that from a diabetes perspective too is that it's the same thing, right? Like we're taught, oh, diabetes isn't a competition and there's no such thing as a perfect diabetes score or a perfect HbA1c or a perfect time and range. But then there's still this attitude of, oh, okay, aim for your HbA1c at 7. And then if you get it at 7, it's like, well, you're not going to stop there. Now you've got to aim for 6.8. Then you've got to aim for 6.5. Like there's this constant chasing mm-hmm. of better control and better time and range and better mm-hmm. HbA1c. I loved what you said about like, just manage it, like manage the parts that you can manage and aim for contentment, diabetes contentment. Doesn't that sound beautiful? I don't know that concept has ever been raised before because there's such a striving to the condition for better and better control. Yeah, I mean, you're highlighting a very important point with the use of the word contentment. Mm. There's no human that wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to do this to hurt myself. That intention is not there. The intention is always the pursuit of some happiness or contentment. And in that pursuit, all these negative things are happening. So the problem is not the pursuit of contentment. That is the goal of life. The problem Mm. is in the means to contentment we've not learned. That's that art of living, you see. So if you don't know how to approach that within yourself, then the natural tendency is for the senses, the five senses, to gravitate towards sense objects. So the mind Mm. says, when I have that soft drink, I'll feel happy. So you have it. When I have, uh, you know, 100,000 in my bank account, I'll be happy. So you chase Mm. that. Now, I'm not saying you mustn't earn or you mustn't have, but you've not thought... When is enough enough? What you know, yeah. if you think with an ideal in mind, then that sets the path for your goal. And on the point you said about becoming too result orientated with diabetes parameters, a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago I presented at a diabetes conference and I showed the number of drugs diabetes patients have to ultimately end up on. In type 2 diabetes, especially, there's three or four to manage the glucose. There's sometimes one or two to manage the cholesterol. There can be up to three or four to manage blood pressure. And then if you've had a complication, you need that. So are we going to manage all our physiology from outside, right? Mm -hmm. And then I showed some information that suggested that when a patient is adherent, not just to medication, but to lifestyle, Like you Mm. can use even a simple insulin with type one diabetes, but if that patient has a standardized routine, a portion size, and they got their life goals, you know, you can manage a very good HbA1c with that, but Mm. managing the HbA1c is managing the body and the body is your vehicle. That's how you really think about it, you see? It's not yeah. your goal. So if you're driving a car to your destination, it's going to need petrol. It's going to get a few scratches on the way or uh, the, uh, for the period that you own the car. It needs a regular mm. service. It needs a regular oil change, right? Mm. So that car will need assistance to manage itself, but the driver is you inside, you see, the mind yeah. and the intellect, right? So the body is similar, but we get so attached to the body that the goal becomes the maintenance of the car and not your actual destination, <laughs> you see. So if you, become, if you become a little objective, your destination ultimately as a human is to find contentment, eternal bliss, nirvana. So where do we mm. find that? Nirvana was a term uh, sort of uh, from Buddhist times, a Sanskrit word. Nir means without mm. and vana means the fires of desire in the mind. So 
We need intellectual development to manage the mind. If the mind is well managed, the body will be better managed. It will serve you well. And like a garment you wear that takes the shape of your body, the body will take the shape of the mind. And I think that's what philosophy teaches ultimately is that we're missing this key component. And it needs a lot of research, a lot of work. And this is where people are being invited to look into. And I also love that as a solution because it's not just saying here's something else you should be adding to your to-do list. Here's something else to be striving for. Here's something else to feel bad about. It's saying start developing. It's like developing a different muscle, right? So, And it's not just for your diabetes management. It's for your, your life contentment in general. And diabetes just falls under that umbrella then. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, it's the one thing you should be doing. What we've been doing is putting the cart before the horse. But that's what the mm. way of how we've started working. When you go into the West, instant gratification becomes the goal of the day. So banks give you loans so you can buy a big house immediately. But now you're mm. buying out of your means. For yeah. So, you know, your future happiness is uh, based on, your current happiness is based on future ha- acquisitions. And then you're working to just fulfill that debt. So yeah. in that stress and strain, you look for short-term props to feel happy. So you pick up a cigarette and a soft drink and you want a junk food meal. Yeah. So, you see, we can't judge human habits. You're just caught in this quagmire and you've got to see this deeper link between the human desire pattern and how we've set up society today. So you can't actually end up blaming any one person. It's just become a collective quagmire, like a sinking sand yeah. pit. Yeah. And then if you look at social media, that's made it even worse because people are scrolling through things on their phones all the time that are just highlighting desire because other people are only showing highlights from their lives. Yeah, so then you, know, the, you feel even worse. People say type 2 diabetes and obesity are non-communicable diseases. But isn't the meme, which is a mental imprint of information, which is spreading all the time by watching, observing popular culture being spread to young children who are learning by copying, teenagers who just see it and accept that as the norm without question. And then we we promote those behaviors and that becomes the pattern order of the day. And it becomes so normalized that we acclimatize to it. So when a philosopher comes along and says, Hmm. let's shed a spotlight on this. Um, They're Mm. going to throw eggs and rotten tomatoes at him. This is what's happened in history, isn't it? And I think in the last year too, because in the last two years, because we've been forced into spaces of reflection much more Mm. than before because of COVID and lockdowns and having to be at home so much more that people are starting to ask bigger questions. So I have time for one more question. One bugs me because I see it over and over. And I don't know if it's just me. I'm living with type one, so I count myself in this group. But a lot of the type ones I know are type A personalities who really like being in control. And then we get given a condition that is impossible to control 100% of the time. Like literally by its very nature, it's impossible to control. And that's a lesson in balance. It's like either a very hilarious joke or personality plays a part in the chronic conditions we develop. And I'm not sure which. What, what are your thoughts? Have you noticed this at all? Uh, absolutely, Bridget, you're right. And uh, I think you're becoming a great pattern observer as well, right? So there are patterns everywhere. But look, the first thing I would say is we shouldn't say it's been given because that would attribute there's some doer that's 
punishing yes, and that that's not the way it works i think there there are cosmic laws that exist and the law of cause and effect is irrefutable now like balancing a mathematical equation if you change this side then something's going to change on this side now human is the only species with a dilemma of choice now all of us are born with a particular mental temperament fragrance or pattern now the science of that mental pattern is not known to the world it has been documented in history in old books in sanskrit books etc so actually very interestingly if you call the modern scientist the scientist of the objective world the outer world what you traditionally know as a sage a philosopher or a yogi was the scientist mm. of the inner constitution of the body and the oh, mind you lovely. see and that documentation is there and it's so interesting well in modern science they have observed a scientific evidence that the type 1 personality which is characterized often by strong career ambition impatience competitiveness right <laughs> they tend to because of that experience more stress why because stress is a, is a mental agitation due to unfulfilled ah. desires so if you have too yes. many expectations of how the world must be but the world has its own cause and effect playing out by its own nature and so do other people they're not going to comply to your world view that's egoistic yeah. you see So there's your world view there's the world going on and now there's friction so instead of riding the waves you got a fixed view and this is moving there's friction that causes agitation and the agitation's going to activate the fight or flight response physiologically we know that a lot of constant stress causes dysfunction of the immune system and you can get autoimmune diseases and thereby you can get maybe type 1 diabetes we've seen stress and you know rheumatological conditions so uh, the particular condition you get may be linked to your genetic variants but at the end of the day mm. that mechanism is being highlighted more and more in science you see um, and then what's the condition teaching well it's saying well let's have some uh, examination of this ob subject ob relationship let's see if we can manage this mind better uh, you do automatically after challenge or by a planned purposeful choice develop more gratitude humility mm. and when you get there you see actually i'm managing the condition better and i'm fulfilling my life goal so any crisis there's danger and opportunity isn't there so you assess mm. the danger you understand it and then you go into the opportunity of it to learn uh but certainly these mechanisms are there the body of knowledge on the mental textures though is so interesting and because i study it i'm seeing medicine in a whole different way now where you know sure. instead of just examining biological parameters i want to understand the mental texture of the patient in front of me whether they live in frenzy are they more predominantly sedentary or are they more mm -hmm. serene truthy and no human is an absolute one of those three they all proportions of different things so it's the individual mental pattern you're born with that's your original nature for this life and then there's mm. all the added desires and patterns of social conditioning and parental patterning and all of that so you know to 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 cut through all of that to get to your essence and express that into the world and get rid of the desire pattern to reach contentment takes a lot of work but then you got to study this kind of stuff you know so mental texture uh, is such a fascinating term too i haven't heard that before how many are there did you say Three. No, I mean, if you think about it, the various, the infinite permutations. You see, mm. but the dominant forms are what we call sattva, is a Sanskrit word which means oh. serene, a poised mm -hmm. mind. Serene mm -hmm. truth seeking, it's looking for the higher values of life. So that would be the dominant. Mm -hmm. 
Rajas is probably the dominant version in the world at the moment, which mm-hmm. is frenzy, like just constantly looking for the next thing to do. Go, go, go. There's lots of desires in the mind. They have to be expressed. Yeah. And if you don't fulfill that desire, then you feel frustrated. And once you fulfill one, then more get bread. And you make money. I need to do this. I need to put. So that's the world, mm-hmm. you see. And then the, the lowest one is tamas, which is indolence, heedlessness, no activity, mm-hmm. which we all have a small proportion. We got to sleep at night. You want to relax now yeah. and then. You see, but if that is dominant, this is the equivalent in the Christian science of sloth, you see, which is not a judgment. Yeah. You know, I'm not calling it a sin. I'm calling it a behavior temperament that you're inclined mm. to. Now, if you can understand your mental temperaments, are you 20% this, 30% that, 40%, uh, 50% that, or am I 20 this, that, and the other, then there's mm. prescriptions in philosophy on different paths you must prescribe into your life. So how to work, how much you should read, how much practice you need in devotion and being in nature, you know, that kind of thing. So now this art of life becomes a life that I know how to proportion according to my self-examination. And these are the things I'm going to do. And then your rise in life towards contentment becomes meteoric because you're doing the right stuff. Today, we're all doing it randomly by herd mentality, impulse, like a pinball. There's no, and then you only start questioning when you're getting injured or challenged, you know. So yeah. I think that's, that's the down. important thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Sandeep, final question. What makes your life sweet? What makes my life sweet is the pursuit of this uh, truth uh, that I've been talking to you about, contentment through knowledge. And I have to say what what makes it the sweetest is through the guidance of a good teacher. Um, This is a concept I think that uh, I wouldn't have been able to speak about 15 years ago. But the appearance of a teacher in your life, what we call in ancient times a guru, the simple Mm -hmm. definition of one is a dispeller of darkness through through the light of knowledge. And, Mm. you know, I think our whole approach to life is we put a small torch on little areas of our lives. But then you get a person with the ultimate knowledge and he's like the blazing sun, even bigger than that, infinite. And it just Mm. lights up the whole thing. And suddenly you say, oh, my God, here are the solutions, you know. So I think that's what makes my life sweet right now is pursuing this knowledge through a to a revered teacher and uh, to be able to share it to the degree I understand it to help others. That's, that's important. Yeah. And I think it's so beautiful that you can share it because it, I know it seems obvious to you, but none of this is obvious to the rest of us. So it's such a joy to be able to have these conversations with you where we can like make it part of the fabric of, of everyday life and Yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. I know you have a lot on and I just love talking to you. Every time I speak to you, I feel like my brain expands. My mind expands. (laughs) Thank you, Bridget. Well, (laughs) we do do want to keep expanding into that infinite expanse. That's the goal. And that's it. That is the end of the second season of the South Africans with Diabetes podcast. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen today and invite you to subscribe so you don't miss an episode of our next season, season three, which will be coming next year. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen today and invite you to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. It's such a pleasure to be able to spend this time with you and I really appreciate it. I'm sure your diabetes management appreciates it too. Big thanks to Lily for sponsoring this season of South Africans with Diabetes. 
Lily is the leading provider of insulin in South Africa, supporting people with diabetes through high-quality, affordable products. Lily unites caring with discovery to create medicines that make life better for people around the world. This podcast comes to you from Sweet Life Diabetes Community. We are South Africa's largest online diabetes community, a space to connect with other people living with diabetes, share tips, and offer advice. Our website, sweetlife.org.za, has all the diabetes info you need, all in one place. We're like the Diabetes Wikipedia of South Africa. We offer expert advice that's easy to understand and written just for you. Whether you're looking for the latest news and updates on diabetes in South Africa, tips to manage your condition better, meal plans and diabetes-friendly recipes, exercise suggestions, or how to lose weight, we have an expert answer for you. We also have free ebooks to download, a diabetes cookbook, diabetes guidebook, and a healthy food guide. Most importantly, we have a community of people with diabetes who understand what it's like to live with the condition every day. We're all in this together.